This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. Another week of college football and the NFL season is in the books. We are pushing towards the Thanksgiving holiday, which means we are getting late into the college football season and pushing our way towards the end of the NFL season as well. And there is so much to break down. I'm going to take you through some thoughts on the previous week's action in terms of a prospect perspective, who stood out who is elevating their draft stock and just talking about some prospects in that regard. I do want to kick it off though, because now there more and more senior bowl acceptances have continued uh, to be announced over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Obviously a lot more names still to be announced, but I just did kind of want to do a little bit of a overview in terms of right now, the skill players that have been announced you know, for the Senior Bowl, and now more than ever, I mean, the Shrine Bowl uh, is not going to happen this year. That was canceled, you know, a, a little while ago due to the pandemic. But the Senior Bowl, uh, Jim Nagy is is pushing forward with it. Says it's going to, you know, obviously it's going to be protocols in place. They're going to mostly just keep it to practice games and a probably NFL personnel, so it won't be as much of a media event as it's been in the past. But obviously, it's a really important. Uh, event on the calendar in the pre-draft process and maybe more this year than any other year uh, in the history of the pre-draft process with players opting out with leagues not happening this year, you know, in in some smaller conferences, it's really going to be a critical part of the evaluation process for NFL teams uh, and people who like to study the draft process as well. So if I scan up and down the list here in terms of, you know, skill players, guys that we talk about here, start the quarterback position. These are the current announced players who've accepted their invites. You have Kellen Mond out of Texas A&M, a guy we've talked about a lot, uh, got some raw natural tools. His athleticism, his arm talent is good. His ability to throw on the run, but still lacking in terms of accuracy, ball placement, decision-making. You got Sam Ellinger, you know, out of Texas. We've talked about him a lot you know, for the last couple years, you know, I look at him and I still, you know, I see, still envision, you know, some Tim Tebow, you know, his athleticism, that bigger bodied guy, you know, not a guy who's like super fast, but he's athletic for his size, can make things happen. Uh, you know, he's been a little bit of a roller coaster at his time here in college. I still think he's a, he's a draftable player somewhere on day three and has a little bit of an intriguing skill set. It'll be interesting to see him down there at the Senior Bowl. Ian Book out of Notre Dame. I think he is a Colt McCoy-style, Case Keenum-style player, uh, probably a late-day free or priority free agent. Kyle Trask out of Florida, probably the biggest riser uh, or one of the biggest risers so far this college football season. I'll talk a little bit about more him in the NFL draft report for this week. But Trask, that's going to be a big event for Kyle Trask. It's possible the Senior Bowl is what differentiates him whether or not he is a day two pick on in round two or does he push his way into the round one mix. The Senior Bowl could be a big thing for him. And then the most intriguing quarterback prospect 
right now going to the Senior Bowl is Jamie Newman, formerly of Wake Forest, was supposed to play this year at Georgia, opted out. You know, this is a guy who, when the college football season started, he was my clear number four quarterback. You know, now we're not playing this year, and the questions about level of competition and what they asked of him and the offense they ran at Wake Forest, you know, and the performance of Zach Wilson and Kyle Trask, he's moved down my ranks a little bit. But on pure film alone, he was set at number four for me. He's, 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 he's bounced down now to about number six. But I think the, the senior bowl is going to be really fascinating for a guy like him because when you watch his Wake Forest film, you see some, some Cam Newton like stuff from him, uh, in terms of his just size, his athleticism, how he plays the game. So I do think it's going to be really intriguing to see him go down there and how he performs down in Mobile at the running back position. Uh, right now, UCLA running back Demetric Felton, who I'm going to talk a little bit about today. I think he's a, I think he's an offensive weapon, wide receiver, running back. I think he can line up in the slot. He can be that change of pace style guy. He's going to be an intriguing fit down there. Teams are looking for those versatile offensive weapons. I think Felton is that in this draft class. Uh, Michael Carter out of North Carolina, he's a guy who I have not watched a lot of. So I like seeing these early invites to the senior role because it kind of puts them on my radar. So Michael Carter out of North Carolina, Larry Roundtree uh, out of Missouri. He's been a guy we've studied since last year. We thought he might come out. Intriguing player, but I think more of a late day free type guy, you know, a guy who's pretty solid at a lot of things. I don't really see a outstanding trait that really, you know, pushes him up draft boards into the top 100 mix. So I think we're talking about a day three prospects in between the tackle type runner uh, has some ability to catch the ball, but not really going to be a forte of his Elijah Mitchell out of Louisiana is the, so far the fourth running back that has accepted his invite as well. If we take this, uh, tight end position uh, out of Virginia, Tony Paljan, uh out of Ole Miss, Kenny Yebo, and then out of Georgia, Trey McKitty. I think uh, Yebo out of Ole Miss is the guy who intrigues me the most from this list. Uh, but I think as we get a little bit closer to it, these tight ends have been a little bit under the radar. I'll, I'll get my eyes on them in terms of you know what they bring to the table. Uh, to give you a better feel and give you my, you know, my take on these guys. These aren't guys that right now I think are are high draftable prospects. I think we're talking about day three players here. Uh, none of these guys are in the scouting notebook right now here at Saturday Sunday, so they're a little bit further down the board uh, than some tight ends. If we take us to the wide receiver position, the guys that are so far been announced: uh, Racy McMath out of LSU, Marquez Stevenson out of Houston, Dwayne Eskridge out of Western Michigan. Austin Watkins Jr. out of UAB, Kay Johnson out of South Dakota State, Shai Smith out of South Carolina, Nico Collins out of Michigan, Kadarius Tony and Trayvon Grimes out of Florida. Obviously, Tony and Grimes are two guys that I've talked about. I talked about Grimes and Matt last week. Tony is a guy I've talked about throughout this year. I'll talk about him again today in the NFL Rookie Report. Nico Collins, you know, good size. I like his ball skills, his ability to high point, adjust, extend for the football. You know, he's a guy who probably is in, you know, right now in that 16 to 20 range in terms of wide receiver prospects for me in this draft class. But, you know, that's not, you know, that's just because of the depth of this class. He's got a really intriguing skill set. Uh, so he's a guy who I'm excited to kind of see down there. Michigan is not you know, been the pillar of a strong offense and strong quarterback play during Nico Collins' time there. So I think the senior bowl could be big for him. 
Uh, Marquez Stevenson is a guy who's who's been on my watch list and on my radar, a guy who can get vertical uh, and, and create mismatches down the field. He's another intriguing prospect so far on this early list of wide receivers. So there it is, just a little bit of a quick uh, synopsis on the skill players that are so far have accepted their invites. I'll probably do this in a couple of weeks again and just go through and and add some thoughts on new names that have accepted uh, invites to the Senior Bowl in terms of that. Obviously, as we draw closer to the Senior Bowl, you know, in January, you know, I'll do a full detail and full preview at that point. I'll make sure anybody that I'm not too familiar with, I get some eyes on, you know, and share my thoughts with you guys as well. So let's let's then pivot this into the traditional first segment, which is the NFL draft stock report uh, or, you know, draft report, you know, for this past week at the quarterback position, you know, the usual suspects, you know, I have ringed down Kyle Trask, 26 of 35, 383 yards and three touchdowns. I talked about him a little bit, you know, when I was discussing the senior bowl. And then also he's been a guy that we've talked about a lot here at Saturday to Sunday. Before the year started, I thought he was a, a, a date for style prospect. And then as the year started and I was watching him, I, I quickly said, okay, he, he's moved into the day two range. I know some people have put him in round one. And I think right now the projection would be, you know, smart to say he's a round one player. I still think on evaluation, he's more of an early day two for me. But I acknowledge that, you know, he's on that round one, round two border now and his stock is still going up. Uh, he's got some things at times that I do, you know, his accuracy and ball placement have improved this year. I think that's been the area that's improved the most. Uh, you know, I think his arm talent is good. I still don't think it's big time, you know, top end arm talent where he can fit the ball into really tight windows and put on a lot of velocity, but there's a lot to like about his game. You know, I was listening to Jim Nagy on the prospects to pros podcast. And he, he was saying that, you know, Trask has kind of taken the same trajectory as Joe Burrow. And I thought that was interesting because it's kind of the path that I saw him, you know, uh, I thought to myself that this is a guy who was probably, you know, a, a round three, round four guy before the year started. And now has elevated himself into probably the round one mix, obviously not on the level of Joe Burrow to the top of the draft, especially in this year's draft class. But the, the movement that he's made, in terms of putting it all together, you know, one of the question marks in the summer when I watched him was I just thought he needed more reps and more experience. And he's, he's gotten that this year. And I think from getting that, that experience and more reps, we've seen him clean up some of the issues and concerns that I saw. You know, I thought on film there was some inconsistencies with his accuracy and his ball placement. And now each week I watch him and watch highlights and watch film of him. I feel like he's cleaned that up and he's improved in that regards. And it's no longer a you know, developmental area or concern. It's somewhere in the functional area to a strength of his game. Uh, you know, obviously you'd like to see it, you know, more consistently in, over a whole year, but he's definitely taken those areas, which I thought were, you know, suspect before the year started in terms of consistency and he's approved upon them. Justin Fields, probably his worst game, you know, you can make the case, you know, since he's been at Ohio State, uh, 18 of 30, 300 yards, but he, two touchdowns, but he did it for interceptions. Uh, you know, it's rare for him in terms of, you know, the production he's put there. You know, again, I don't think I don't think a game, you know, a poor game here or there is going to really impact what people think of Justin Fields. I think right now most people have Trevor Lawrence one. Most people have Justin Fields two. I don't see a lot changing that narrative 
uh, just like I don't really see Trey Lance or Zach Wilson really pushing Justin Fields. I think Fields is going to be the second quarterback. Lawrence is going to be the first one. Fields' ability to make things happen, you know, with his legs, with his arm, uh, you know, playing inside the pocket, outside the pocket, making plays, you know, when the when the play breaks down or playing off structure, you know, is what makes him such an intriguing prospect. And we see more and more in the NFL every single week just how important it is to be able to play off structure and make things happen as offensive line play continues to deteriorate at the NFL level. And we've seen rookie quarterbacks now come in and really, you know, this, this year alone, Justin Herbert, you know, we've seen rookie quarterbacks, you know, and, you know, Joe Burrow was having a solid year until unfortunately his injury, you know, we've seen rookie quarterbacks, you know, make a lot more impressive early, early on, you know, performances than in the past. And I gotta think like Justin Fields, that ability to play off structure is something that will get him on the football field quicker. will make him more successful quicker because he has that in his arsenal, in his bag of tricks. Uh, Zach Wilson, a very efficient game. Obviously, the level of competition was down this week, even more than usual. 10 of 16, 212 yards and four touchdowns. Again, I talked about Trask being a mover. Uh, Zach Wilson right there as well, going from Dapery into the round one conversation as well. The question is, how high can he go? Can he get into the top five? Can he get into the top 10? Can he catapult over Trey Lance this year? Uh, I think are the question marks with Zach Wilson. I think he's got good arm talent. I think he can make all NFL throws. He can throw from different platforms. I still think his his velocity and his strength is is average at best. I don't think it's it's a you know he can get the ball where it needs to be, but understand who he is and what he is. And while his overall arm package might be impressive. You know, because of his accuracy and his ball placement and thrown from different arm angles and platforms, uh, I still do think his velocity and strength is is something that is just average and functional, which is fine. Uh, but I don't think he's got the arm talent of some of these other guys in this year's draft class or in, in previous draft class. Continue to be intrigued with Desmond Ritter out of Cincinnati, who's got his team playing really well. This past week, 21 of 32, 388 yards. Sorry, 338 yards and two touchdowns. Also at 57 yards rushing and two touchdowns. I can't watch him play and not think Colin Kaepernick. I don't know if it's the long strides. I don't know if it's the body type, uh, the, his 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 deep ball. But when I watch uh, Ritter play, I think a lot of Colin Kaepernick. I think he's a guy that's flying under the radar a little bit. And I think a lot of people have him as a day three prospect. I think there's a chance a day two for him. I think in terms of what the NFL is intrigued by, in terms of that, if we saw Jalen Hurts go on day two last year, I think Desmond Ritter can can go on day two. I, I do believe that. So I think Ritter's the guy that people are sleeping on a little bit. Uh, and then Brock Purdy, 16 of 20, 236 yards and three touchdowns. Purdy's another guy I think's in the day two mix. Uh, if he goes in day two, if not, I think early day three, him and Ritter, I think are two of the more intriguing ones because I think, you know, with the emergence of Trask, with the emergence of Zach Wilson and Mac Jones, I feel like it's been Newman who I mentioned before, Ritter and Purdy have, are kind of the guys that now are being slept on. And I do think they all have an intriguing skill set to be, you know, top 100 prospects and potentially go, you know, in the first three rounds. I don't know if all of them are going to, um, uh, because sometimes if quarterbacks aren't deemed top 
round one, top 50, I think sometimes teams then want to, you know, use those second and third round picks on other prospects uh, that have a higher ceiling. And if they look at these guys and think high end backup, they might want to look to day four before they take these guys. I mean, day four, round four, day three before they take these prospects. So, you know, I, I think they're day two in terms of their grades, uh, but that doesn't mean they're going to go on day two, but I do think they're being a little bit slept on a little bit forgotten. And I don't, I, I think Raider Purdy and Newman all are, are worthwhile discussion as three really intriguing prospects. If we take this to the running back position. We, I talked about Demetri Felton before, but this past week, 34 carries 167 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, impressive game on the ground, but, but don't, misunderstand that performance and that box score uh, game to tell you the story on Demetri Felton. He's 5'9", 186. This is a versatile, offensive chess piece. This is a guy who is going to, at the NFL level, he's not going to be a guy who's carrying 34 catches. I mean, 34 carries. This is going to be a guy who's going to be a change of pace runner, third down runner, pass catching running back, but a guy who's got the ability to also line up in the slot and run wide receiver routes. So I think he could be, you know, he could be used as a, as an offensive weapon in a variety of ways. And I think that could potentially in a class that the, the running back class is a weak class, in my opinion, after Najee Harris and Travis Etienne, I think Demetri Felton could be a guy that goes higher than we might think in terms of the NFL draft because of his dual capabilities, because of his versatility that he brings. A team could be looking for that piece in terms of their, you know, their offense. And maybe he goes in the third round, the early fourth, even though, you know, you may see him right now projected, you know, somewhere, you know, on day three in round four, round five, round six, he could even go a little bit earlier than maybe where the projections are because of the versatility that he offers that pass catching ability, that slot wide receiver, you know, motion amount, do different things with him. That's Demetri Felton. Other guys, it was kind of a quiet week for the running backs. Uh, the only other one that really stood out in a positive light was Master Teague uh, in that game against Indiana. 26 carries, 169 yards, and two touchdowns. You know, I, we've been waiting for kind of that breakout game from Master Teague. This was the most impressive one where he really handled the heavy workload in that backfield. Uh, I'll bring up Zamir White right here and then tie in him and Master Teague because I've been talking about them together all year. Zamir White struggled this week, 11 carries. 21 yards, you know, but he's, he's, he had prior to this week had been the better player this year compared to Master Teague. But I really do think their evals are very similar. They were two highly recruited, you know, high school running backs. I think they're both best as interior physical runners between the tackles. They got some good athleticism and bursts for guys their size. They don't show a lot in the past game right now. I don't think they're going to be guys that really, you know, put their foot in the ground and make sharp cuts and, and do change of direction type stuff. I don't think that's who they are, but if they, you know, pick up speed, they can, they have, you know, good athleticism to, to, you know, get to make a big play and, and take it to the distance. If the, if that lane is there, uh, you know, they can power over guys, but they're not going to be those guys, you know, that, that stop and go type guys. They're not going to be guys out of the backfield. So I think it makes, that makes them two very tricky evals and you're trying to project them to the next level as are they around three guys? Are they around four, around five? You know, I think, I think the, the, the gap in the range of their draftable grades could be from round three to round five. I think that's kind of where it is, you know, and, and it really depends on what a team is looking for, uh, in their eval on terms of a player. If they're looking for a more complete player, I think these guys get pushed down the board a little bit. If a team's looking for a true power, physical, interior-type runner, 
and they're okay taking one in round three, I think you could see one of these guys sneak into round three for sure. Uh, Truba Hubbard this week, eight carries, 44 yards. I mean, he's number three in terms of most running back rankings, and I think he's fine. I think he's intriguing, but I just – I, I think there's a big gap between the top two and Truba Hubbard than I think there is from Truba Hubbard to, you know, the number four guy or number five guy who my guess is number four guy is Kenneth Gainwell. And then I think number five is a little bit up for grabs right now, you know, with the uh, medical retirement of Journey Brown, who was my guy who I was really intrigued by. I think Hubbard is, I think Hubbard is a little bit like Darrell Henderson style player. I think he's going to be around three style player. I think he is probably best in terms of a committee backfield. We'll see where Hubbard kind of ends up, you know, at the next level. If we take this to the wide receivers, I want to start with Rondell Moore out of Purdue. 15 catches, 106 yards. You know, I talked a little bit, you know, over the last couple of podcasts that I think now think there's a clear top six at the wide receiver position. And I think the margin between them is very small. I think all six of them are worthy of going round one. Do all six go in round one? I'm not sure. It, could somebody fall into round two? Yeah, it's possible. You know, I, I guess if I had a pinpoint, I think I said Rondo Moore a couple of weeks ago when I talked about that, but that's just because I'm trying to, you know, pinpoint a guy who could potentially fall. I don't think he should. I think six wide receivers should go in round one. I think Rondo Moore is in that mix with the Alabama guys, Jalen Waddell, you know, and Devonta Smith, Terrace Marshall Jr. out of LSU, Jamar Chase, and Rashad Bateman. Uh, Moore has been a little bit out of sight, out of mind, I feel like, but 15 catches, 106 yards. You're going to get him the ball, in, you know, all around the line of scrimmage, get the ball in his hands. He's an electric playmaker after the catch. He can get vertical, you know, even at his size, he can win at the catch points or run them more, uh, you know, can do a lot of different things at the wide receiver position and his most explosive trait is getting the ball and getting him in space. So I think you're going to see a lot of short to intermediate stuff with him, even at the next level, get the ball in his hands and let him use his natural playmaking ability in the open field. Kadarius Tony, who I mentioned before in terms of the senior bowl invites, six catches, 107 yards and a touchdown. He continues to have Debo Samuel, DJ Moore type vibes. So, you know, going to be a guy who's going to be used on jet sweeps and the rounds, uh, some handoffs out of the backfield, those shuttle passes. Uh, he's a guy who after the catch is very physical in terms of his yak ability, uh, but this guy's also got big time speed. He's got change of direction. So Kadarius Tony is going to be a guy that's going to wreak havoc in the open field. Chris Olave, eight catches, 101 yards. I talked about him with Matt last week and in prior episodes. I love his route running ability. I think he's one of the best natural route runners in this draft class. Uh, and NFL teams are always looking for that. I think he's locked and loaded as a round two prospect. Maybe he could push his way into round one if, if seven wide receivers go, but I think you're going to see him pretty early in round two due to that natural route running ability that he offers. Uh, Devonta Smith, nine catches, 144 yards and two touchdowns. You know, he can go as high as the second or third wide receiver. Uh, the production he has put forth at Alabama over the last couple of years and a guy who I just recently watched and took notes on and will be. Uh, one of the first five guys added to the Scotty notebook is Anthony Schwartz out of Auburn. Three catches, 84 yards, and a touchdown. This is a guy who's got blazing, blazing speed. We're talking in the four twos, guys. 
vertical threat. You can use him on screens and quick slants to get him the ball in space. You could do the jet sweeps in the end of the rounds with him. But this guy's got a good size and frame to him, but his blazing vertical speed, the tactical value this guy's going to bring to an offense, uh, you're going to see this guy go a lot higher, I think, on the draft than, than people expect because of that that blazing speed, what he can bring to an offense and the tactical value in addition to the actual value he can bring changes the dynamic of an offense. So Anthony Schwartz is a guy who maybe he's not getting as much publicity as he should, but you should really have him on your radar uh, due to his, his ability to get vertical, be a factor in the open field when he gets the ball. Uh, he's going to be a guy that, that NFL teams are very much intrigued by. At the tight end position, only guy I want to bring up this week is Jake Ferguson, seven catches, 58 yards. Listen, Ferguson was a guy that people were really high on, you know, when he was a redshirt sophomore. His name was already being mentioned as one of the top tight ends. Listen, I think he's probably – I don't think he's a day two guy. I think he's a day three guy. He's, he's, he's a good pass catcher, you know, functional blocker. But I think he's mostly – you know, his role is going to be as a pass catcher. But he doesn't have top end athleticism. Uh, so I don't know. He's a hard eval, I think, right now until we get some testing numbers on him. I think, you know, he'll he'll be – you know, in the top five, top seven, top eight tight end mix for sure, I think, if he declares. But I could also see him even going back as well, uh, you know, to to see if he could elevate his stock a little bit more. So there it is, guys, the NFL draft report or stock report uh, for this past week of games. Let's take this to the Debbie Slant where we're talking about some of the top underclassmen prospects in the country. Uh I want to start at the quarterback position, Jaden Daniels for Georgia, 26 of 38, 444 yards. Uh, you know, really impressive performance from Daniels, really elevated uh, the entire team around him. It kind of was the reason why Zamir White in the in the run game, you know, struggled. But but Daniels really stepped it up, and he's in, he's an ascending talent right now who, in that offense with – you know, wide receivers like George Pickens, he's a guy who buys stock now on Jaden Daniels uh, if if it's available because I do think he's going to be a guy that the skill set's there, the, you know, pedigree coming out of high school is there, and now if, he, if he's starting to put it all together, uh, I think he's going to really finish the year strong and could be a guy that, you know, is being talked about a lot next year and very highly regarded. Spencer Rattler, 17 of 24, 301 yards and four touchdowns. Every time I watch him play, you know, smooth comes to mind. Very smooth in his movements, very smooth in his, his passing ability, his ability to navigate the pocket, play inside and outside, you know, play on structure, play off structure. I mean, he's attached to the hip to Lincoln Riley in that great offense at Oklahoma. Uh, Spencer Rattler is a guy who you're going to see be thought of highly regarded. Again, the NFL landscape has changed in terms of, height, weight for quarterbacks. Uh, the door is now open for a guy like Spencer Rattler to go high in an NFL draft uh, with his overall skill set. At the wide receiver at the wide receiver position, uh, I talked about Rondell Moore a little bit earlier. His teammate David Bell, you know, continues to be one of the top wide receiver underclassmen prospects in the country. Eight catches, 104 yards, and two touchdowns. You know, very few underclassmen wide receivers I'd rather have on my Debbie team than David Bell. He's going to be a guy that is locked in as a first-round conversation type wide receiver uh, when he is draft eligible. Uh, Garrett Wilson out of Ohio State, seven catches, 169 yards, and two touchdowns. Uh, he's a guy who I know Matt is very high on. We've had many conversations about Garrett Wilson off-air 
uh, he's the one who brought to my attention that he reminded him so much of Calvin Ridley. And that's, that's kind of what I've been talking about on air here. Uh, when you watch him play his ability to get in and out of breaks, his route running, you don't see Chris refine route running usually at this early of, of a career in college for a wide receiver. You know, I, I subtweeted some things on and, and had some video clips of, of Wilson from this past week and you watch him and, you know, there was one near the goal line and there's other ones and his ability to get in and out of his breaks, that separation quickness, you know, that that's a special trait. He's, he's on the trajectory like David Bell being locked and loaded as a first round talent because of that route running ability, the athleticism, the ability to play inside, outside versatility, play to slot, play outside, win at all three levels of the field. Uh, Wilson is a guy who I'd highly recommend trying to get a hold of him and get shares wherever you can. Uh, Reed Gilbert at the tight end position, five catches, 55 yards. I wanted to bring him up because I know Matt was hoping to hop on tonight, but unfortunately couldn't make it. You know, Gilbert is a guy that I know Matt is actively targeting in just about any Debbie league. He can get his hands on him. Uh, it's rare to see a freshman perform like Gilbert is playing. I think that speaks volumes of how high his ceiling is. The way we talk about Kyle Pitts uh, this year I think we're in a couple of years, that'll be the conversation uh, with Ari Gilbert. And that's usually rare to find from the tight end position that you're that high on somebody from years out. Usually it's a position, even at college, it takes time to develop. Uh, obviously, we know it takes time at the NFL level to develop as well. Uh, at the running back position, Eric Gray out of Tennessee is the one that stood out to me the most this week. 22 catches, 173 yards. Uh, he's a guy that's got that versatility to be an impactful runner, but also offers some receiving capabilities as well. I think he's going a little bit under the radar with all the attention, rightfully so, that guys like Breach Hall and Jerry Neely are getting. Uh, but Eric Gray is a guy who I think, you know, is probably on the trajectory to be a day two type running back pick, you know, when his time comes that I think it, people are sleeping on a little bit right now, probably because of, you know, Tennessee struggles over the last couple of years. Uh, just not getting the attention he deserves. If we take this uh, to the tail of the tape where we take a look ahead in terms of prospects from matchups this past weekend, just going to hit on a couple games because depending on when you're listening to this, obviously there's a lot of games this week on Friday uh, due to Thanksgiving on Thursday. You know, we have a, a pretty pretty big slate on Friday and then the rest of the games on Saturday. But a couple things that stood out this week, Iowa State versus Texas. I, I talked about, you know, the quarterbacks before Sam Ellinger already accepted his invite to the senior bowl, Brock Purdy, uh, an intriguing guy. So I'll have my eyes on both of those guys. Also Brennan Eagles, you know, and Keontae Ingram at the wide receiver and running back position for Texas, the game of the week, Notre Dame versus UNC. Talked about Ian Book before. I'll be watching him. Uh, Kyron Williams, the running back on the UNC side. It's all about Sam Howell. How does he perform? I, I've said I think he's locked in right now as the uh, the QB1 for the 2022 quarterback class. Uh, and then the, his skill players, you know, Daz Newsome, uh, Deami Brown, really interested to see how they perform in this game against Notre Dame. Auburn, Alabama, you know, how, how does, you know, Seth Williams, Anthony Schwartz do against Alabama? You know, how does Bo Nix look? And then the Alabama side, you got Najee, you got Mac Jones, uh, you know, you got Devonta Smith. How do those guys do? LSU, Texas A&M, Kellen Mond, uh, 
you know, Isaiah Spiller, the guys I'm looking for on the Texas A&M side, on the LSU side, it's all about Terrace Marshall Jr. or Eric Gilbert are guys I'll be watching closely. And then there's a couple other games, you know, that are interesting. Penn State, Michigan is always an intriguing game. Uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Cal, USC, and then Cincinnati Temple, two draftable quarterback prospects there with Desmond Ritter and Anthony Russo. The Cal USC game, I'll be watching, you know, those USC wide receivers, uh, you know, Amon Ross St. Brown, Tyler Vons, those guys, you know, I think Vons is day three guy. I think Amon Ra is, is day two. So a couple of draftable wide receivers there. I'll have my eyes on Slovis at the quarterback position, one of the top quarterback underclassmen in the country. Minnesota, we're talking about Rashawn Bateman, uh, Tanner Morgan. I'll be watching there. You know, so a lot of intriguing matchups this weekend. Uh, from a prospect perspective, you know, so, you know, we'll be back next week to break down all those intriguing prospects and how they did in this upcoming week of games. Let's close out the, the evening with the NFL rookie report for week 11. Uh, and we got to start the quarterback position, the unfortunate injury, uh, Joe Burrow tearing his ACL and I believe his MCL as, as well. You know, the reports are that if all goes well, he should be back under center for opening day, which, you know, that's kind of remarkable considering how late we are into the NFL season. Uh, but guys are coming around much quicker from and healing and getting back there from ACL, MCL injuries. So hopefully, you know, Burrow is back and better than ever to start next year. Uh, obviously I thought he was having a really strong rookie year. He had his ups and downs like most rookie quarterbacks do. And he was playing behind a bad offensive line, but, uh, you know, I thought Burrow really was handling himself well this year, showing that skill set. If for any reason in the fantasy world, you know, this is an opportunity to buy low on him with this injury. Then I definitely would in the off season because, you know, with T Higgins, uh, you know, Joe Mixon, Tyler Boyd, this offense is set up. Uh, hopefully they spend this offseason continuing to try to upgrade the offensive line and stabilize the protection around their franchise quarterback. Uh, I do think it might be more of a buy window for, for T Higgins than it is for Joe Burrow because of the, how good the wide receiver class is this, this past year and how good the upcoming wide receiver class is. So that might be an opportunity when push comes to shove. If T Higgins struggles down the stretch here with Ryan Finley, his overall numbers might not look that impressive. You know, for the casual dynasty player, maybe it opens up a window where if you offer an aggressive, you know, round one rookie pick, uh, for T Higgins, somebody might accept that. And I would offer a late round one rookie pick for sure uh, for T Higgins, you know, without a doubt attached to the hip there with Joe Burrow. What we've seen out of T Higgins this year has been really impressive. If we go back to the quarterback position, uh, two got benched, was not performing well. And two has, you know, he had that one game where he really looked strong that second game, but overall two has not, you know, looked at the same level of Burrow or Herbert, whether it's him still trying to get comfortable back from his his injury last year, whether it's just the speed of the game right now, he needs some time to get adjusted to it. But he has not had the immediate success that Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert has had. Uh, they said it was just bench for performance for this one game. He's going to be back on their center this week. So we'll have more to talk about. It'll be interesting to see how he responds to being benched. This is a guy who's always been a top level, you know, quarterback wherever he's played. So to get benched, I think is, is it had to come as a little bit of a shock to him. So it'll be interesting to kind of see how he rebounds this week after last week's benching. Uh, Justin Herbert, I mean, at this point, 
the rookie of the year is locked up. 37 to 49, 366 yards and three touchdowns. And I'm not even sure the box scores do justice on just how well Justin Herbert's played this year. His aggressiveness, throwing vertically, you don't usually see that in a rookie quarterback. And the level of comfort that the coaching staff has to let him air it out deep and push the ball vertically down the field is remarkable. You don't usually see coaching staffs that have that much trust in their rookie quarterbacks to push the ball vertically down the field. He is elevating all of the players around him. He's looking better than he ever did in college. And right now, you know, Justin Herbert, you know, I moved him ahead of Tua in my dynasty rankings a couple of weeks ago. And at this point now with Burrow missing the rest of the year due to injury, I think you probably should have Herbert right now as the number one quarterback, you know, dynasty quarterback from this draft class. You know, so if if you're, you know, when I do my next update to my, you know, my dynasty rookie rankings, I'm going to move Herbert to number one. His play on the field warrants it. The injury to borrow now, you know, it's not something I'm going to overreact to, but it was already basically a coin flip between those two right now moving forward. And with the injury, I'm going to use that as a tiebreaker and that and based on, you know, Herbert's you know performance on the football field, I'm going to put him in that number one spot because it's been really remarkable what we've seen from him uh, early on in his college career. If you take this to the running back position, Clyde Edwards Lair, uh, 14 carries, 69 yards and, and two touchdowns for Elair, you know. Everyone was overreacted a little bit to the Le'Veon Bell news. And then since uh, Bell's there, Hilaire has continued to be the lead guy in that backfield. I thought there was going to be an opportunity maybe to buy low if he struggled down the stretch. But if he's still the clear uh, lead guy there, I think that probably that slightly buy low window probably has evaporated. There's still been inconsistencies in, in his overall games. And I'm still not sure that Kansas City is going to want to make him the full guy. I think they might always want another guy there, whether it's a 60-40 or 65-35 role, whether it's Damian Williams next year, whether it's another running back. Uh, but I still think Hilaire is a guy you want to get on your dynasty team if possible, attached to that offense, attached to Mahomes and Kelsey and Hill and Andy Reid's offense. Uh, so don't overthink Hilaire, even if at times you've been frustrated this year besides a couple of weeks uh, where he really shined. Jonathan Taylor had his best game in a while, 22 carries, 90 yards, just when it looked like he might have been, you know, a little bit, you know, pushed out of the, of the bell cow rotation there and it been more in a very much, you know, three-headed timeshare. He gets his his most, you know, ca- uh, carries in quite some time. Looks pretty solid against the Packers this past week. Again, I still think there's some concern, though, about him based on, you know, how the Colts have done it this year in terms of wanting to use multiple backs. I don't think he's going to be much of a pass catcher. So while he's a guy that I'd like to have on my dynasty team, I also wouldn't hesitate to move in the right deal. And if somebody, if he had a, you know, if he finished strongly and it was a, a really sell high window, I would consider it uh, just because I'm a little bit concerned that he's going to be a little bit in that Leonard Fournette type territory where he's a little bit touchdown dependent in the, in the Colts' offensive line is not nearly as good and dominant as it's been in the past. That could change by next year. Uh, but he's a, he's a, he's a tough eval because I just don't think he's going to be involved much in the past game, even though we've seen a couple glimpses here or there where he was utilized. J.K. Dobbins finally took a hold of that backfield this past week, 15 carries, 70 yards and a touchdown. As we finally thought we were going to see him down the stretch be the guy, 
Uh, he tested positive for COVID, so he's going to be out for at least this week, possibly two, uh, based on how quickly he can get off the COVID list and and be okay to play. Uh, so again, it seems like it's been an up and down. You have a moment or two where Dobbins looks like he's going to start really catapulting and to be very relevant, and then it's a couple steps back. Uh, he's still the guy right there with Clyde edwards Lair that I'm most intrigued with long-term. Uh, I still think in two years or three years, if he's the number one running back from this class, I wouldn't be surprised. I'd want to get him on my team anywhere I can. I'd offer anything but basically a top three dynasty pick to get J.K. Dobbins on my dynasty roster. Uh, Cam Akers, only five carries this week. One catch did find the end zone, but Cam Akers is the guy who, while I like the talent, I, I've mentioned it before, I'm still most concerned long-term with him. I'd buy him for a second-round pick, but if somebody wanted to overpay for him, I'd consider moving him because Darrell Henderson has showed a lot this year. He's only on; he's only in his second year. So I think, I think for at least two more years after this, Cam Akers is probably very much in a committee with Darrell Henderson. I don't think he's going to take a massive role over. Maybe eventually he you know, eats into Malcolm Brown and just becomes a two-headed backfield. But even if it is, I think it's Henderson and Akers. And I think when he was drafted, some people thought maybe they had completely soured on Henderson, but I do not think that is the case anymore. Uh, I think, you know, that was more, I think, the media and then trying to, you know, put the puzzle pieces together and overreact a little bit to them drafting a running back, you know, again on day two. Uh, but I think they just wanted to see more out of Henderson. And I think they've seen it this year. So acres is the guy I'd buy for a second round pick, but if I was offered a first round pick at some point for him, I'd probably move him because I do have some concerns about the, you know, the backfield in terms of it potentially being very much an even split uh, down the, in that backfield with the Rams there. Antonio Gibson, 16 carries, 94 yards, and one touchdown, one catch and 10 yards. He'd be a guy I'd be buying. Stock up, stock up, buy, buy, buy. And use the fact that he's not being actively overly involved in the receiving game to your advantage right now. That's going to come. This is a guy who was a wide receiver in college. So right now, I don't care that his receive receptions and his receiving numbers are down due to J.K. Miss. J.D. McKissick. I look at it right now as an opportunity to buy him. When I was talking about last week selling James Robinson for a one, I would turn around and and for a one, I'd buy. Maybe not a top a, a pick that I was thinking the top five or top six, but a, a late round one rookie pick, I'd buy Antonio Gibson because what he's shown in terms of a runner, well, even if even if that's as good as it gets in the run game, there is a lot of room to grow in terms of his passing capabilities. I think right now they are making that transition to Antonio Gibson, the running back. And I don't think they want to put too much on his plate and they have JD McKissick there this year. So they're utilizing him. But I think there's a lot of room to grow on the football field in terms of usage and a lot more in terms of fantasy production. If, and when he starts getting actively involved in that pass game a lot more. And I think it will come at some point. So even if he doesn't, you know, even if he ever loses some rushing attempts, I think that will be offset by his reception work down the line. So stock up on Antonio Gibson. I'd be buying him aggressively. At the wide receiver position, uh, CeeDee Lamb, you know, he only had four catches for 34 yards and one touchdown. But if you saw his touchdown catch, his ability to adjust and extend in the end zone for his touchdown was was very impressive. One of the plays of the weekend for sure, especially maybe the play of the weekend from the rookie class. Uh, 
So he's a guy who right now is my number one wide receiver from this class, but it's a spectacular rookie class for wide receivers. Justin Jefferson continuing to look good. Three catches, 86 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Chase Claypool just continuing to do what he does. Four catches, 59 yards and a touchdown. A man uh, amongst boys at times out there. And that's, you know, it's rare to say about a NFL rookie playing in the NFL, but at times that's what Claypool looks like. Uh, I know I've heard people say, you know, baby Megatron. Listen, obviously, no one should be compared to Calvin Johnson. But when you're talking about just from a size, stature, athleticism frame, you can understand why why people are even bringing up the name of Calvin Johnson when they're talking about Chase Claypool because of that combo of his size, the frame, the athleticism. Uh, really impressive. Claypool is another guy you should aggressively be trying to get him on your team. Uh, him and Deontay Johnson are the future, I think, in that wide receiver corpse there for Pittsburgh. Both of those guys would be guys I'd want to be trying to get on my dynasty roster wherever I could. Michael Pittman, three catches, 66 yards and a touchdown. He showed, you know, again, you think of Michael Pittman as his win at the catch point, physical, tough, ball skills, body control, and that's all true. But he's got he's got sneaky athleticism to his game. You saw that this week. He caught like a crossing route, and then he turned on the Jets and was gone for like a sixty yard uh, or fifty yard touchdown. You know, it was only his only big play today. But I think it showed his versatility that while he can win at the catch point, he's got surprising athleticism and burst for a man his size, and he showed it on that play uh, this past weekend. Denzel Min three catches, seventy one yards. I think he's a guy that. There's going to be a buy low window on Denzel Mims because of just how poor the Jets offensive line is. I mean, the Jets offense is in general, partially, you know, due to the offensive line, but, you know, more the whole offense as a whole, the quarterbacks, scheme, uh, play calling, et cetera, et cetera. But Denzel Mims started out the year injured, so he's he hasn't made that explosion, you know, due to the injury and due to the, the overall, you know, lack of offense there. But Mims is the guy who's probably going to be catching passes from Trevor Lawrence next year. And if it's not Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. Like, I don't see how the Jets don't have one of those two quarterbacks unless, you know, at some point they decide to run it back with Sam Darnold. But I don't envision that at this point. Uh, you know, so Denzel Mims is a guy who I think you're probably going to be able to buy him for a second round pick, maybe even a mid to late second round rookie pick. And I think I'd be intrigued by that skill set, even though I love this upcoming class. I think Denzel Mims has got, you know, that would be good value for Denzel Mims, especially attaching to potentially one of those uh, up-and-coming potential franchise quarterbacks in Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. Uh, Jalen Rager, four catches, 52 yards. He'd be a guy I'd be looking to buy right now because I don't think it costs – everybody drafted him in basically the first round, probably somewhere in that 8-12 to range. You know, maybe some drafts he went higher, maybe some he fell to the early part of round two. But I don't, I think right now with his lack of production this year due to injury, due to Eagles offense, due to the inept uh, play of Carson Wentz, I think Jalen Rager probably can be bought right now for a second round rookie pick. And I still think he's got a lot of Brandon Cooks to his game. I think he still could potentially be the number one wide receiver in that Eagles offense. So Rager is a guy I'd be definitely looking to get on my teams right now for sure. So to round it out, guys, I do want to make note of Adam Trapman. 
he's a guy that I think he's going to be very, very intriguing down the line. It might take another year or two before he's, you know, big time fantasy viability, consistent guy. But I think he's got tight end one upside. I think this guy and not just like fringe tight end one. I think he's a guy that could eventually push into that like six to nine type range uh, and be a consistent, you know, potential tight end one. I love the athleticism. You see it in glimpses here or there. I think, you know, I don't know if he's going to be the starter next year, but he's a guy in, in deep leagues, in deep dynasty leagues, in, in leagues that have taxi squads, tight end premium or two tight end leagues. I'd want to get Adam Trapman on my team now. Uh, if you think about it, like if you need a tight end, you know, if you want Kyle Pitts or Pat Fryermuth or Brevin Jordan, they're going to cost you. You know, Pitts is going to go in the first round of rookie drafts. Fryermuth might, if not early second round. Brevin Jordan probably somewhere else, you know, mid to late second round of rookie drafts. But you can probably get Adam Trapman for a late third round rookie pick, you know, in some leagues, depending on the league, the settings, all that stuff. Uh, maybe even later than that in some leagues. But if you can get a hold of him now and you could afford to kind of wait it out, I think he's going to be worth the wait down the line. So I did want to make note of him because we haven't talked about the rookie tight ends too much. So there it is, guys, the NFL draft report, you know, including the draft stock report, the Debbie slant, the tail of the tape as we look ahead and the NFL rookie report all for you. If you're enjoying this content, guys, please get over to the website ssfootball.com. It's the easiest way to get out there. And we really strongly urge for you to consider purchasing the premium notebooks. Uh, for $9.99, you get access to all three notebooks. You get immediate access to the scouting notebook, which has like 80 to 85 full player profiles right now. Strengths, functional areas, developmental areas, how they win, NFL role, NFL projection, fantasy spin uh, more guys uh, will continue to get added throughout the season and then more after the year I know I recently have, have kind of set up uh, to to in, to put into the notebook Zach Wilson Mac Jones Anthony Schwartz uh, you know uh, Darius Tony uh, and, and a couple other guys as well I have some uh, notes inputted I still have to put the full film eval notes in there as well but you will see, continue to see more guys added and added as I watch film on them I will edit and update guys like Kyle Trask my eval has changed on him I've went in and, and updated parts of Kyle Trask evaluation so it's a brief a breathing living document that gets edited throughout the season with a big update after the season as well. You get the rankings notebook. It has our draft eligible rankings, our dynasty rookie rankings, our Devi rankings. We have our own unique tiering system that we created that we put out, you know, before uh, in the pre-draft process as well. And then you get the, uh, NFL Draft Notebook in April, which has tabs for every player, offense and defense, uh, some notes on the player, their strengths, their concerns, all their combine measurements and metrics, uh, you know, tabs for every position, like I said, offense and defense, and over a tab for me projecting the top 32, the top three rounds, and then every pick in the draft it is a great guide to have uh, during NFL Draft month there of april and then on draft weekend as well and as we said before guys it is really the livelihood and what we rely on to 
you know, continue to do what we do here at Saturday to Sunday. So please, if you can consider purchasing it for $9.99, hopefully if you've purchased it in the past, you continue to purchase it. And if you've never tried it before, but you're a fan of the show, uh, you consider checking it out. If you have any questions, do not hesitate to reach out to me on Twitter or the SS handle as well. So on behalf of Matt, behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, we wish you and your family a very happy Thanksgiving, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.